Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 2nd of March 2020. I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, discussing the world of sports and pop culture. As always, we are streaming live here on my YouTube channel, Real Deal Podcast. Uh, the chat line is open for live chat. Any comments or questions, uh, don't hesitate uh, to hit me up on from that stand. Hit me up on that. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel, YouTube on uh, Real Deal Podcast. It is in the right-hand box, the right box, um, bottom light, the bottom right box. If you go on uh, Real Deal Podcast and um, and certainly click subscribe if you uh, so choose to comment any questions, uh, we'll be certainly happy to return uh, questions or comments. Um, busy day, busy NBA night. Busy NBA weekend uh, this past weekend. Um, you had last night the uh, second of two meetings with the Lakers and Pelicans, uh, Zion and uh, LeBron, and both meetings have been worth seemingly worth the price of admission. Both games won by the Lakers, and both you know virtual performances by LeBron James, but Zion Williamson. Didn't certainly did not take a backseat, um, especially last night. He had also had 35 points um, in that game as the Lakers got by the Pelicans 122-114. No Anthony Davis. Uh, LeBron had a big fourth quarter, but it was to me, um, and it was unlike the first meeting. I, I thought the thought the first meeting, despite LeBron's 40, uh, it was all it was about what Zion did to Anthony Davis. That was the story of the first meeting. This meeting um, had LeBron, you know, showing, you know, showing that the old man still has, has a few tricks up his sleeve uh, as he uh, carried the Lakers for the most part. I know Kuzma had a nice game, but it was all about LeBron last night. And you saw those two embrace at the end of the game. Now, I don't know why that's become, that's people want to make a big deal out of that. Like LeBron, has always been about the players. LeBron is a somebody who has advocated for players. LeBron is somebody who always speaks highly of the young players. That's just who he is. I, I don't know why it's a big deal now in year 17 about LeBron James talking or fraternizing with some of the younger players because he's still he's still he's still going to try to destroy them. I mean, like look at look look what LeBron does to these younger players or how he plays against these younger players. It's not like he takes he takes it easy on these guys. Um, but you know, LeBron is going, you know, LeBron is about the players. Like he's going to do, he's doing, he's going to do things off the court with the, with the CBA that he's doing stuff for the players. So I, I don't know why anybody would be surprised that LeBron James, especially, you know, he's going to compliment a Tatum. He's going to compliment a John Morant, uh, or, you know, or a Zion Williamson. LeBron, LeBron gets it. He knows that. He has more days uh, behind him than ahead of him as far as his NBA career goes. And he knows the end is near. And he sees the future of the NBA. He sees the future of the NBA. And he's going to, he's going to even after LeBron is done with playing basketball, he will be a part of the NBA in some form of capacity. Ownership, he'll be around. I don't see him as an analyst. I just don't think that's his thing. But he'll, he'll be around. I mean, most of these NBA guys are around even after they, uh, well after they retire. In some in, in some capacity, so I didn't. Make, I don't think it's a big deal that LeBron shaking hands or hugging uh, 
Zion Williamson. I mean, LeBron understands what the who who the future what the future of the league looks like, and who the future what the future of the league looks like. So, and certainly have no problem with that. Uh, this run that Zion Williamson is on for his first 15 games of his career is is, is beyond remarkable. I mean, he's at 24-1, close to seven rebounds, uh, shooting close to 60 percent. 59% from the field, and, and he's doing that in just under 29 minutes, 28.9 minutes of play. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know who you compare him to. Um, I've heard, we've heard some of the Barkley comparisons, um, athleticism, but, you know, I, I think he's just a, a, a flat-out better athlete than Charles Barkley. Somebody mentioned Sean Kemp a little, I heard that today. Not not as tall, but certainly again the athleticism. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who. I, I don't. I really don't know who to compare this guy to right now. The thing I like about how he's playing is his aggression. He's getting to the line eight and a half times a game. Now he needs to get his percentage up. He's only shooting about sixty-four percent, but that that will come with some polishing and you know technique and working the summertime in the summertime in terms of his shot. You know, he'll get that up to about you would think about seventy seventy-five. Uh, but uh, you love his aggression. He's fearless in the paint. He plays like a big man. He plays bigger than what he is. And he could be in excess of 300 pounds or 282, 9300. It doesn't matter right now the way he's playing. But he plays like he plays like a seven footer. As far as you wouldn't think that this guy is only about six 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 seven. You know they're throwing lobs to him even when he, you know, and not and these are not clean lobs. These are lobs in the half court. These are not just lobs on the fast break. So how he uses his body to clear out space, how he seals off his man, these are things that you just can't teach. Um, so I, I think that he, you know, his first 15 games couldn't be couldn't go any better, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you this, if if New Orleans finishes, if New Orleans makes the playoffs, and right now they're about, I think they're three games behind uh, Memphis. Memphis has a nice lead on New Orleans. New Orleans would have the tiebreaker if they finish tied because they beat New Orleans twice this year. But if New Orleans makes the playoffs, then then Zion Williamson is rookie of the year. I don't care. I, I don't care how many games he hasn't played. If they make the playoffs, coming from six, you know, six and twenty-two at one point, he is rookie of the year because from a number standpoint, and right now, how he's impacting the game, I you know he's right there with with, with John Morant. Now, again, I give Morant the edge because Morant, again, has played the entire season. Uh, you have to count that counts for something. And, and right now, Memphis is in the playoffs. Memphis had a big win Saturday against the Lakers on, um, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Saturday, yeah, on Saturday, Saturday evening against the Lakers. That was a nice win for them, uh, 105 to 88. But um, if a... Uh, if New Orleans gets in the playoffs, I have to say that you uh, you have to give you have to say that Zion Williamson is the uh, rookie of the year. Far as the, you got a big game Saturday night, great game Saturday night with Houston and Boston, and another monster game to cap off a, a just a tremendous month for one West, for one Russell Westbrook, who to me is playing the best ball of his career. Um, this isn't, and this just not. This wasn't just a February thing. He played great in January as well, but February he was even better. Basically, thirty-three, seven, and six, shooting fifty-four percent from the field, only taking. And this is a key number for Westbrook. Only taking two point five three-point field goals at three three points a game, 
that has been his bugaboo throughout the course of his career that he for the last, the last three or four years that he was, he was taking way too many three-point shots um he's healthy this year he's uh you know again he hasn't lost hasn't lost much if any of his athleticism and right now he since played great since that capella trade they're about 11 and 2 they are um you know beating good teams they had a great again they had road wins against boston they had a road win against the lakers so again you have to love what you're seeing out of houston now i don't see this translating to the postseason where you can lock in on a team for a course of two weeks in a, uh, seven games i just don't see that eventually i think that style of play will wear thin and the thing about this is to me over the last month or so it's been evident that it has become russell westbrook's team now big picture if houston wants to win a championship russell westbrook cannot be their best player and he has been their best player for the last two months harden has to be the best player and when I think about Westbrook versus Harden, if in terms of skill, clearly Harden is a better player. Clearly, he's just a more skilled player, better better shooter, um, gets to the line. But in terms of will, and you know a, a killer instinct and a mentality that a fearlessness, it's clearly it's clearly Westbrook. And that's, to me, that's where Harden fails the most. He does not have the will of a guy with his with his skill set. He has all-time great skill, but his mental his mental toughness does not equal to that, to, you know, to his skill set. And that's why, he, that's why he has continuously failed in the postseason. And until I see him come up big in the postseason, him lead a team, uh, I will always believe that. And again, you're not winning a championship. Russell Westbrook as your number one player. It's just not going to happen. They won't even get to the finals from that standpoint. So they're not beating the Lakers. They're not beating the Clippers with Russell Westbrook as the number one guy. It's not a knock on Westbrook. To me, that's a, it's a knock on Harden because Harden should be that number one player. He should be not only the best player, he should be the guy that uh, that is leading them. But, and again, I don't blame Westbrook at all. I blame Harden. Harden was not good in that game on, against Boston at all. And it's been shown over the course of the last couple of years, if Harden's not getting foul calls, he becomes ineffective. He's not going to line anywhere from 8 to 12 times a game. He's not getting calls. He Sometimes he disappears. Now, We'll see uh, in the postseason. Can they continue at this start with the style and continue with the small ball? I think you're gonna. I think eventually they'll get. You know that that will that will wear thin in the postseason. I think teams right now they're catching teams off guard. Uh, teams don't have time to prepare back to back nights. You know, teams. If some teams may be coming in Houston third game in four nights and what have you, or coming off of back to back. You know, it looks good in the regular season. But again, when you can lock into it in a seven-game playoff series, these are the best teams, mm-hmm. these are the best defenses. I don't see it lasting over, especially, especially again against. And again, we're not talking about the first round. We're talking about. You know, I mean, I could see them. They play Utah in the first round. I could see them beating Utah. If they play Dallas in the first round, they'll beat Dallas. 
But I'm talking about, but that, that again, that, and that Dallas game, that Dallas series might be tricky for them. If I was Houston, I wouldn't want to see Dallas because Luca, Luca can wreck a series. But uh, they'll beat Utah. You know, more than likely they'll beat Oklahoma City. But um, it's two teams that they're gonna have to they're gonna have to go through to get to the finals, and that's of course L.A. and you know Lakers and Clippers, Clippers and Lakers. And more than likely, they're going to go through both those teams. I don't see the Clippers falling. Even if Houston somehow gets to the number two spot or number three spot, I don't see the Lake, the Clippers falling below two or three. Clippers are not falling below, below three. So let's say, for argument's sake, is Houston gets to the second spot. That's that's going to be a second-round matchup. Clippers and uh, Clippers and Rockets will be playing in the second round. Yeah, I don't see Houston... I don't see the Clippers falling uh, below that three spot at all. And again, I'm looking at the standings right now. Uh, where are we at? We have Denver is two right now. The Clippers are three. Rockets are four. Rockets are just a half game, a game and a half behind the Clip, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers are falling below. I don't think the Clippers are falling below uh, to that four spot. I think the Clippers will do enough to stay within that two or three spot. Right now, as a set up, the Clippers, the Rockets would play the Lakers in the second round. Either way, the the Rockets might have to play. They have to. Be, it's going to probably going to go through both of them. But let's say, let's say the season were to end in now. In now. Denver's not beating the Clippers in that second round matchup. Uh, and the Rockets, let's say they, by some miracle, minor miracle, pull off the upset against the Lakers, they still have to go through both of those teams. Either way, either if they, even if they finish, even if they finish, um, and Denver is not beating uh, the Lakers in the second round. Again, I don't think the Clippers will, I don't think the Clippers will fall below three. That's just my personal opinion. And I don't think, listen, I think the Lakers, are six games in the lost column clear of the Nuggets and Clippers. The Lakers are not. The Lakers are going to be the uh, the one seed. So it's just a matter who finishes two through. I would say two through four. Utah is a couple games has twenty two losses, but I think it comes down to basically two through four. Who uh, how those how those teams are going to finish? Um, again, Houston's become entertaining. I mean, they become entertaining now. At least they, at least there's a thought that they could possibly do some damage. You know, a couple, you know, about two weeks ago, you know, they wasn't even, he wasn't even thought about Houston about two or three weeks ago. But at least now, just at least they're entertaining. They, they fight, you know, they're feisty, they're scrapping defensively. So you know, they're fun to watch. Uh, a couple things uh, you have the. The Sixers apparently are putting Al Horford on the uh, trading block. Um, now he Horford has three years left on his contract. They want to move him for some shooting. Um, I, you know, to me, it's more about that contract. I mean, that contract—that's a bad contract. Horford has about ninety over ninety million dollars left on his contract. Um, you gotta invest, you gotta pay Ben Simmons sometime. 
Um, ben Simmons is going to be around for a while. I think they need they will try to move and beat in the, in the offseason. They should try to move and beat. I don't know that for sure, but they should try to move and beat. I, I think they, they're looking at themselves and saying, like, wow, this contract, you know, this guy has been okay this year, but this kind this is a bad contract. It's absolutely a, a terrible contract when you look at it. Um, yeah, he has three years left on his contract um, at – you know, $27 million, 20, $27, 25, at well over, at close to, I would say close to $90 million left on that, that contract total. So it's, it's not, because the contract is not going to age well. The Celtics actually caught a break for the Sixers uh, signing offer. They really did. They actually caught a break. I mean, Porford is not a post presence anyway. So it's not like the Celtics, you know, he's, he's a uh, stretch for, he plays stretch, he plays some five. We know, he, you know he's very good defensively. But again, he's not the same guy he was, two, say, two years ago. He's not that guy anymore. He's not that guy right now. He slipped just enough, and he really hasn't played well for the Celtics. Uh, um, no, excuse me. He hasn't played well for the Sixers. So they, uh, they want to get, I think they just want to get off that contract. As far as the Harden versus uh, Giannis, you know, you had them go kind of go back and forth. You know, I, I'm fine with it if Harden uses it uses it as some motivation to put a chip on his shoulder. You know, Harden goes out there, talks about Giannis, and then goes seven for you know twenty three against Boston. And that's the that's the thing about Harden. Harden, you know, he's too cool. Doesn't doesn't play ang doesn't play with an edge. Doesn't play. He's not he's not a super. He's not ultra competitive. You know, Harden they they play. They played Milwaukee March 25th. You would like to see Harden go out there, put 45 to 50 on 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 on, on Milwaukee and make a statement. You, you would like to see that, but he's not that type of, not that type of competitor. I mean, this is a guy who, after losing one of the most embarrassing playoff games in the last five years, losing the 30 points at home in an elimination game with no Kawhi Leonard against San Antonio, he was out in the club after losing the game in, in the series. You know, Harden is he's just one. Again, he does not have. Again, his he has all time great skill set. His will will does not match his skill. His will doesn't match his skill. Of course, this is March second, two thousand twenty. This marks the anniversary of one of the great individual performances in the history of the NBA. Will Chamberlain's hundred point game. Um, you know. There were about 4,000 people there and certainly about 100,000 people who said they were there. You look at the box score from this game. He scores 100 points. 33, it was 36 of 63 from the field. 30, 28 of 32 from the, foul, from, from the foul line, free throw line. 25 points, excuse me, 25 rebounds, two assists. Played all 48 minutes. Uh, shot 21 field goal attempts in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, listen, Will Chamberlain is, you know, statistically the greatest player of all time from a number standpoint. But Will Chamberlain, all and again, legend is an immortal, all those things without question. Thirty and twenty-two for his career. Who knows how many block shots he averaged if they would have kept that, led the league in assists one year. But Will Chamberlain, to me, is a guy who is a perfect example of num of numbers not telling the entire story. And it could just show you why that numbers don't have have it. The why you can't look at num you can't just look at numbers. 
he only has two championships. For somebody that put up those type of numbers, he only has two championships, lets you know that his numbers did not completely impact winning to the level that you would think it would from a guy who, for his career, averaged 30 points and 22 rebounds. And it's not, listen, Will Chamberlain played with some of the greatest players ever. Will Chamberlain played with Hall of Famers. He played, he played with Jerry West, Gail Goodrich, Hal Greer, Paul Erzin, Chet Walker, Al Adams. He played with some all-time greats. Guy Rogers. It's not like Will Chamberlain didn't play, you know, it was Will and a bunch of bums. Will played with some all-time great players, but he only has two championships to show for it. There's something to be said for that. His, and, and again, his numbers in the postseason dipped. Bill Russell's postseason numbers went up. So you can any argument with the center. Will, Will has to be number three. You cannot put Will Chamberlain ahead of uh, Bill Russell. You can't put him ahead of Jabbar. You can't. You can't do it. Those guys were winners, and they won a lot. Yeah, Will Chamberlain lost a game seven in or in Los Angeles at the Forum against against a old Bill Russell in 1969. Yeah, a game he had no business losing. None. I'm glad I wasn't born as a Laker fan. To be honest with you, did like, I'm really glad I wasn't born. I can imagine losing to the Celtics at home in a game seven with Bill Russell. Bill Russell's last game. He was old at that point. He was done. But he found a way to beat Will Chamberlain. Prime Will Chamberlain. You know, 69, Will Chamberlain was still was still in his prime. He was at the end of his prime, but he still was in he was still a dominant player. So but again, hundred points is hundred points. I even in this wild up and down NBA style with three point shooting, I don't think no one I don't think anybody is approaching. I don't think anybody's scoring hundred points. I just don't think from a physical standpoint, the type of energy that you have to expand. I I just don't see it. I don't see it. Maybe maybe could 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 have Kobe gotten a hundred? Could two thousand six Kobe gotten a hundred in two thousand twenty? Maybe. I would I certainly would have we would have loved to see two thousand six Kobe playing in in this era where you basically can't touch guards, where you can't touch perimeter players and where the where the game where you don't have that many shot blockers because there's not and with the three-point shot being to the left, you know, way of revolutionizing the sport. I don't see anybody. I don't, I don't see anybody approaching 100 points anytime, ever. I, that's why I think that's one of those records that will never be broken. A couple of things before we, before we uh, before I let you go. Number one, I'm worried about college basketball. I I have not, you know, I do a, I do a number of college basketball games. Uh, that series um, over the course of the year. So I'm not completely detached from it, but this year I've probably watched less college basketball than I've ever watched now. Once a part of it is that North Carolina is terrible, maybe. But even even with that being said, there's no compelling stories in college basketball right now. There's no player that you say, listen, I have to watch this player because he might be the next great pro. There's no Zion. No, there's not even a guy like even as good as Jason Tatum was in college. And there's no dominant team. And when you don't have those, one of those two things, if not both of those things, um, it makes for a college basketball. Now, again, you want to say it come March, 
Uh, the field is wide open. There's no dominant team. Okay. You want to, if that's how you want to sell it, you can try to sell it. But right now, um, there's really, there's really no reason to watch college basketball right now. Now, when the tournament starts, everybody be glued to the tournament on that Thursday through Saturday, especially those first three or four days when it's a bunch of games and everybody has their, their pools and brackets out and what have you. But, um, right, I, I, I'm, I mean, look at the future of college basketball. You know, the NBA players are going to, you know, one and, done, one and done guys are going to be able to go pro soon right out of high school, which is going to even suck out and suck out even more talent out of the college, out of the college game. And then what is college basketball going to be left with? Because right, right now, the stars of the college basketball are the coaches. It's Mike Krzyzewski, it's Roy Williams. You know, it's um, the guy from uh, Mark Few, Tom Izzo, Calipari. Those are the stars of college basketball right now. And I don't care about watching the coaches. They're great coaches, but, you know, it's still about, it still comes down to the players. And you know, this is only going to get worse as the years go along. Again, and they, the NBA is about passing, you know, letting guys in at, straight from high school in the next, you know, maybe at least I think at the latest by 2022 in another two years. So it's been a bad year for college basketball. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Uh, they need a a star. Yeah, I mean, you need a, you need somebody too that's going to like that you can gravitate to. If you don't have a star, you have to at least have, have a dominant team. And again, there's no dominant team. And there's no star superstar player in uh, college basketball right now. Uh, James Lipton passed away today at the age of 93 of uh, bladder bladder cancer. Uh, Lipton hosted Inside the Actors Studio. is a show that I frequently watched for years when it was on. I mean, interviewed a who's who's list of actors and of actors and actresses over the course of the, the show's tenure. And the show was on for at least, I want to say, that show was on for at least 15 years, if not long, yeah, at least 15, 10, between 10 to 15 years. Um, he uh, was was a great interviewer. I mean, he was a great interviewer. He allowed, it was about the actor, didn't make it about him, kept it simple with the questions, would go through their careers, um, did it just was a tremendous interview. And I, I'm always fascinated with interviews or interview we got people who interview for a living whether it be uh open winfrey or ted koppel uh charlie rose larry king uh he was tremendous i mean he he was i didn't, I didn't realize he was 93 uh until i found out he passed away today but uh you know he uh again you lived 93 years and you get that's getting your money's worth without miss no no two ways about that um, so you had that, yeah, you know, you had that today with him passing passing away. Tony Romo just signed a contract for seventeen point five million dollars a year from C to be retained by CBS. It, they were allegedly, reportedly in talks with Peyton Manning if Romo was did not return. Now apparently Peyton Manning waited too long to get back to CBS, and he turned down a deal or was pondering a deal that was in excess of ten to twelve million dollars. Manning will have other opportunities. Sounds like uh, maybe some opportunities from ESPN. 
here's a here's the thing about Romo's deal, and not it's not for me to count someone else's checks, but I just don't understand why CBS would pay a guy that type of money who's only going to be on the air for one game, you know, for the better, for, for most, for probably one game a week. I, I, I mean, Stephen A. Smith just signed a contract that supposedly pays him eight to $10 million. Stephen A. Smith is on a show two hours a day, five days a week. He has a, he's on the radio, ESPN radio. He does stuff for the NBA on ESPN. He does, he does it. He's done a, I mean, he's earning his, his eight to $10 million a year. He does a does, you know, sports center, does some things with that, with his, with uh post post game analysis and or they'll you know he'll be at the he'll be at some of the key games with his opinion hot takes and so you know he's working all over the place I mean Tony Romo is gonna be working one day a week the previous high for that for that position was eight million dollars uh when John Madden was with um was with NBC uh way back when um I think Madden his last game his last season was the 2008 season. Seventeen and a half million dollars for Tony Romo. And again, I, I think Romo's pretty good, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't tune in to watch the NFL on CBS because of the, because of Tony Romo. I mean, the NFL sells itself, but yeah, it's good for him. If somebody's listen, if somebody's willing to pay it to you, then you must be worth it. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. This podcast will be available via itunes.apple.com, Stitcher, Block Talk Radio, Spotify, as well as, as well as uh, my YouTube channel, anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes after the end of the podcast. That's going to wrap it up. I will see you later on this week with a couple podcasts, a couple surprises. I'm out.